Well, you know, I, I love bringing back folks that have been making an impact in the world and been really successful at it and friends. I've made friends with a lot of these people I've had on. And David Allen Arnold is no exception. He is an Emmy-winning cinematographer. David, welcome. Thank you, Alexander. It's great to be with you again. And uh, yes, you are an Emmy-winning you know, cinematographer and you're part of the Deadliest Catch Project. I know it's episode four tonight. And while you can't tell us that, right off the bat, tell us what that experience was like this time around, recording all those well, visuals. Well, it was, uh, as always, uh, the Deadliest Catch is a life and death adventure. And um, the elements on Deadliest Catch are really dangerous. Uh, the water uh, in the Bering Sea is so cold that if you fall into it, uh, most people are dead within a minute. Mm. And um, in fact, season one of Deadliest Catch, someone fell out of one of the boats and it was best case scenario because they saw him go. Sometimes guys fall out and no one knows. And then they suddenly realize later that one of them is missing and that's it. They, there's no way they could even find you know, where they went, but it was best case scenario. So they saw this man fall out of the boat. So in that event, one guy runs to the rail, the side of the boat and just does nothing but watch where he goes as they try to turn the boat around on wow. the storm waves to get back to where he is, keep track of him and pick him up. So that was best case scenario. They saw him go. They watched him as the boat turned around, but by the time the boat got back to him, he was already dead. I oh, oh so my that's, goodness. That's how cold the water is. That's how dangerous it is up there. Well, and so how do people protect themselves from falling over? Like what, what kind of preventions do they take? And what, what preventions and measures do you guys have to take as the videographers? Well, um, for us, um, a few years ago, I fly in the helicopter that hovers next to the boats while they're fishing. And uh, we took everyone who rides in the helicopter to a Coast Guard school where we practice uh, getting out of an upside down uh, sunken helicopter in the mm. ocean. And so we trained that way in a, in a Coast Guard training facility in their swimming pool with one of their divers. And um, we wear... Uh, Switlick uh, life vests that are equipped with uh, air bottles. So if the aircraft goes in the water, we have a oxygen supply we can use to try and get to the surface. Beautiful. Um, and uh, I wear an insulated uh, helicopter flight suit uh, to, if I do get in the water, to hopefully keep me warm enough to survive. David, talking about David Allen Arnold. Um, you know what's amazing about you is you're you are behind the scenes, but you're very much on the scene on Twitter and Facebook and social media. So do you find that people are, you know, gravitating toward how your project, how your story is coming along, maybe more so than the stars of the show itself? Like, do you find more questions directed about cinematography than anything else about that show? Well, what I find is that people love that anyone uh, from a filming crew would take time to talk to them about how the show gets made or to show them behind the scenes. So uh, if you go to my Instagram or my Twitter, you'll see videos from inside Discovery Bird uh, in the cockpit as we're flying around the crab boats uh, and filming for the show. And generally people on social media never have access to that kind of stuff. And in the case of Deadliest Catch, Deadliest Catch only comes on once a year on Discovery Channel. The rest of the year is spent filming and editing the show. So in between seasons, people don't have anything to really watch. 
And so I find that thousands and thousands of people just get so excited that anyone would share a glimpse of what's coming on the next season or what went into filming the new season and, uh, and to talk to them. Because when you watch the show on Discovery Channel, you can't ask questions. You can't, you know, the right. fishermen can't, can't talk back to you as, as like you said, well, how, well, how is the conditions, you know, and, and on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, you can get answers to those questions. Pe people just light up when anyone takes the time to do that for them. Absolutely. I'm going to try and pull up your, uh, your thing to show on the screen here. Um, what, what, what you are referring to because you are David Allen Arnold on Airborne camera, if you can't see that, sorry about that. But yeah, that's his Instagram with the helicopter up in the air. And um, David, that's not how we met, though. Tell us, for those who are new to this you know, podcast over the last couple of weeks, tell us why and how we first met and how that story is coming along as well. Well, um, I have written a series of books. And so uh, I use a company uh, in uh uh, Philadelphia to train me how to, you know, do outreach to the public and communications. Uh, in this case, how to, you know, sell the books and, and tell people what's in them. And uh, so they took me to a seminar where I could meet with members of the media and talk to them about their shows and, and what's happening. And that's where I met you and, and was immediately uh, just impressed with the way you carry yourself and how professional you are. And, um, and I, I knew when I met you at that convention that, that you were someone I wanted to try and keep in touch with. And so right away to be able to click with you on Instagram and uh, Facebook, right? And you know, see what you're up to, and see the pictures of you traveling through New York City, and just doing your day-to-day -day things, and the the history of your life. I I just right away fell in love with your story, and uh, all the positive things that you do every day. And um, and uh, by so the right there. I don't know if they can catch that on the recording, but there's us. There's your title, and there you are in the helicopter. So there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so just to be able to keep in touch with you on social media and find out what's happening in your life in the case of the Corona lockdown to see your imagery of, you know, showing the streets of New York are empty and how crazy it is there and, and just to be able to follow along in your journey is, is something I always look forward to on social media. And as you know, when I post these, I don't sort of post them with a gloom and doom. I try and say, hey, we'll rebound from this. I think that's the only way to approach this kind of situation, right? Oh yeah, I I love your your upbeat, uh, hopeful uh, uh, attitude, and I also like how you question what's going on and whether or not we're doing the right things and stuff. Well, and that is the next big thing. I I just I've sort of believed that now we're kind of letting government become the parent, telling us what to do, and I'm very wary of letting that continue. Yeah, I, I think everyone in America. <laughs> has a little bit of the, the hairs on the back of their neck stand up when they see that police and sheriffs and governors are preventing people from buying seeds, from planting gardens, from going to the beach. And, uh, and I think it's, it's, an, it's a legitimate question for people to ask if our government is telling us to go inside and stay inside a cool, dark, you know, space of our homes where viruses flourish right. versus going to the beach where the sunlight is known to kill the virus. 
uh, I think people are rightly questioning, like, what a, wait a minute, how does, how do these restrictions have anything to do with improving our health? Right. And so it's, I don't like using this. I don't like even saying this, but it's true. I just feel like we're being hijacked right now because of the virus. It's very, very scary. Well, I, I can tell you, uh, I live in California. In California, 40 million healthy people have been locked down. Meanwhile, there's no evidence that taking away our civil rights while we are healthy and able to go to work, do our jobs, earn paychecks, feed our families, there's no evidence that that does anything to improve the health of the people in California. And, and the uh, world, if, actually. Yeah, if you saw in the news, our, our governor got into hot water because he's had the healthy population of California locked down for two months now. Uh, and people are starving. And uh, he publicly expressed his outrage that people were trying to go to the beach in California. And uh, anyone who knows anything about the coronavirus knows that that's probably the healthiest thing you could do uh, because the virus doesn't survive in, in uh, sunlight and with heat. And uh, so he lashed out at the people of California and ordered the communities had decided to leave certain beaches open and he ordered those communities to close their beach. And everyone knows that that is extremely fascist and suspect and does, does no one any good and has no bearing on the coronavirus. It's infringement uh, is what it is. And so, so he has announced with, <laughs> that the next week he's going to uh, have them reopen. Oh yeah. I heard that. And, so I guess he's not under uh, pressure then because I'd seen by Friday, he's going to open different things up now. Yeah. So he, he all of a sudden completely reversed his position and said, Oh, I'm opening the beaches. And, uh, and that's BS. What, what I know, I mean, anyone who watches what's going on can clearly see that he did a terrible thing to the people of California and they pushed back and he got pressured. I mean, I, I can just imagine the conversations, you know, with wealthy residents of the beach communities on the phone with his staff going, we will find someone to run against you mm. <laughs> the next election. I agree with <laughs> so that one. I, I'm sure, I'm sure that's probably why he suddenly changed his position and said he was going to let people go to the beach again. Okay. And, and to be clear, I don't exactly think New York city should go to the beach right now. We are the epicenter. But David, you've been here, you love the city. What kind of words of encouragement can you give us New Yorkers that are sort of under the same pattern here? Well, I, I mean, um, you know, being in a congested city like New York City is a very, uh, has a very specific set of problems. Um, I live on an acre. I live, you would consider this a city park where my house sits. Um, it's, I around my house is nothing but open space and woods. So, so for me, the coronavirus epidemic is a very different experience from living in a congested city right. where you rely on subways and buses just to travel and get to and from work. Um, so, you know, uh, what, what I foresee is that absolutely we will rise above this. And I think you know, forget the news, because I, I think the news has been trying to mislead people about the corona epidemic. I think people can see for themselves when their leaders are doing the right things to help them 
and when their leaders are doing the wrong things. And honestly, I, I think that over time, people are going to begin to look outside of the major cities uh, because of some of the things that have happened during the past two months. And, um, and I predict that uh, a large number of people are going to, in the next 10 years, are going to move away from the big cities and find a way to mm -hmm. live comfortably you know, in a more you know, spread out environment where, you know, like you could do your show from anywhere. I mean, it's right. great that you're in, in the media capital, but the reality is, is, is you could be anywhere and be on the internet and streaming to people. Right uh, now, you know, this is the, exactly, the perfect example right now. Right. So I, I get you there and, you know, your mayor in LA looked a little more insane than de Blasio at the beginning of this saying, you know, gun businesses may be shut down. And if we don't, then I heard he's going to turn off the water and heat on it. It's getting crazy. But I think de Blasio has topped that by saying we have to enforce the cops. Like, I never liked the word enforcement, especially in America. Right? We don't well, like here, that word. Well, here's the kicker. Where, where I live, we're not having the same experience that New Yorkers are having. So in California, more people are killed in car accidents than have died of coronavirus. Uh, and so I know that um, I know that our governor, our mayors, are going to be coming under more and more pressure as they literally starve the people. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as I said on Facebook last week, um, do the police even realize that by locking up the healthy, hardworking taxpayers and preventing them from going to work, they're also preventing them from paying taxes and taxes pay for the police. Right. So I think anyone who can do simple math in their head knows that we're looking at a situation where the cities and counties and states that have locked down their population are not going to have even half of the revenue that they had last year to pay for police, firefighters, and everything else. Well, and I would say, because you've had experience with bad judges recently, if you, don't, if you don't mind me saying that, you've been posting about that a lot. But now we're seeing judges like truly clamp down on people too, right? I mean, that, that effect is happening as well. We're seeing a lot of people in government uh, wield a really just, it's just a fascist power, you know, to, to tell people that when they're in Home Depot, they're not allowed to buy seeds uh, or home improvement products while telling them that they're not allowed to go to work and earn money is uh, insane. And uh, any, any state, any city, any county that is being heavy handed with the taxpayers is going to find themselves probably out of money. Uh, and very quickly, probably in the next three months, you're going to see yep. a lot of major cities and states uh, either filing for bankruptcy or at the very least, you know, cutting their budgets mm. by 30 or 50 percent because they're simply not going to have pe people who live where I live in California have no ability to pay their property tax. You're, you're talking about the majority of workers in California haven't been allowed to go to work for two months. David, I've got so to ask forget their forget their mortgages. There, there's no way they're going to be able to pay property tax bills. I want to turn this conversation to you as well because you're a taxpaying citizen and you're a hard worker. A, have you been shooting 
still during this quarantine different aspects like are you still taking videos and all that and secondly have you found any trouble with the cops um trying to shoot different things well yeah um all of my tv shows have been locked down hmm. so um when the uh, coronavirus hit i was working on a tv show in miami and the tv show lost all of their location filming permits so we couldn't we just literally couldn't go out and film because the local regulators wouldn't allow us to mm. and um so my my industry is shut down and i would say well over probably two-thirds maybe even three-quarters uh is my estimation two Two-thirds to three-quarters of people who work in film and television are out of work right now. But how are you doing to keep busy? Are you still shooting things in your own area, like just for fun even, or for Instagram, Twitter? Are you still doing some videoing? I, I have a tremendous uh, amount of content that I put out on uh, social media. And so I've been showing behind-the-scenes clips from Survivor, from Monday Night Football, from The Deadliest Catch. And I actually gained uh, probably 200,000 followers uh, wow. since the epidemic began. I think because more people have time to, to watch, you know, and look at stuff on social media. Um, right. But so for me, I've, I've been uh, very busy, you know, sharing those uh, things uh, with the public and also working on my third book. Very cool. I want to preview that with, with us while I have you. What's that? Want to preview that third book while we have you and maybe give a summary of the other two that sure. you've written for people yeah, to so, take away. So what's going to happen is um, my first book, Help From Above, is about my my experience. Uh, my, my whole life really starts in my childhood and it ends, culminates uh, me flying in helicopters for the Deadliest Catch, for the World Series, for Super Bowl. Uh, this is Discovery Bird on the cover. That's the helicopter that uh, we hover uh, next to the crab boats during the Deadliest Catch. Um, my second book is the reason I'm writing books. It is a true crime story of corruption and organized mm -hmm. crime that I found at a school bus stop near where I live. And uh, I fought with them for five years to get the gangsters away from the children. And uh, in 2014, I found the body of one of the victims that they had murdered uh, hidden behind the school bus stop. And that story is in this book. Um, my third book will continue this story because the corruption was only starting when we found the kid murdered behind the school bus stop and it uh, got worse from there. And so I named names in my true crime book. And what's interesting about this is none of the crimes in this book have been investigated by police. Weird, yet they're- These are, these are open in, cases. Yet they're locking in social distancers, right? So that's kind of how we are today. Well, it, it, let's just say uh, I have uh, witnessed a lot of corruption in our government officials, including murder, including racketeering. Uh, and in my situation, it was at a school bus stop, which was very upsetting to me. Uh, mm -hmm. And so one of, the, one of the only weapons that I had against them was to do what you do, which was to tell the truth. And, and so I put that story into the book, it's called What Lies Above the Clouds. And uh, uh, my next book is called Hell to Pay. And I will tell more of the story of the gangsters at the school bus stop and the um, 
the terrible crimes that we discovered as we uh, investigated on our own, you know, as private citizens. Hey, David, Alan Arnold, tell me and tell the listeners that this is not, uh, you know, woohoo, I wrote a book and I just want to get my story. This is very complicated. It has a lot of consequences and it sort of threatens your life, doesn't it, by naming all these names? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it just imagine uh, your favorite gangster movie, Goodfellas or uh, Godfather, and imagine, uh, you know, in, in uh, Goodfellas, there's like a dry cleaner store where all the gangsters uh, hang mm -hmm. out and run their business. And imagine if the neighbor across the street uh, started protesting against them and photographing them and taking records of them. And uh, in my case, writing a book about them and naming them in the book. You know, that's exactly what has happened here. This is the first time an organized crime ring has ever been called out and named uh, in a book. And it's on Amazon. People can buy it and read it. So it's in the public record. And uh, it is, uh, I'm very honest about how questionable that is to do for your own safety. But I also feel that Sometimes when you know something is wrong and it shouldn't be allowed, in this case, uh, a gangster business at a school bus stop, uh, we all have a choice to make. We can either choose to look the other way and, and leave the children in harm's way, or we can do what I did, which is to say, you know what? I don't care what happens next. Mm -hmm. I'm going to call this out because the public needs to know what is happening at a gathering place, a gathering place for small children. Well, you know, I'm going to title this show, you know, hoarding information. And what I, so I realized that I wanted to return a book back to my, where I found it because it was so inspirational to me. I didn't want to hold on to it. So I gave it back to where I found it. Now it's like, well, if we have information, why do we hoard it? Why do we keep it to ourselves? And you're, I think, inspiring us not to keep it to ourselves anymore. Well, I, I'm definitely proving that even in the face of murderous corruption and organized crime, uh, where they are making over $100 million a year with an illegal business at the school bus stop, even with that level of murderous corruption, uh, you have a weapon. Uh, and it could be as simple as you taking your phone and filming and recording what's happening there and then putting it on YouTube. Uh, or in my case, writing a book about it and going out on social media and calling attention to it. Uh, we all have weapons now. I mean, that's, that's what the Me Too movement is. The Me Too movement is women who suffered in silence with no recourse for generations. They had no weapon against the rich and powerful. But in today's world, uh, they don't need a green light for their documentary. They can simply put the truth on YouTube. They can simply mm -hmm. put the truth on Facebook or Instagram. And um, so this is a very powerful time to be alive. And I can tell you from experience that the agents of corruption, uh, the agents of government, uh, who historically have gotten away with murder, are not prepared for the new world that we live in. And you can see it every day. That's what the Me Too movement is. The Me Too movement is guys getting caught doing what they have always done and not realizing that in today's world, they can be uh, exposed. Very much so. And that's, that's a great point. I want to ask about Terry and Biden in a minute. But um, with regards to the bus stop, 
has that been shut down? Like, has Corona stopped that too, or has they still been have they still been continuing their their evil ways over there? Well, not none of the crimes uh, that I documented, including murder, have ever been investigated. Mm. So, as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, this is a uh, open wound that will only heal. It's only going to heal when uh, this, then when the truth comes out, because me explaining my experience of living next door to the place and seeing victims run away from the school bus stop with gangsters pursuing them. Uh, I know that a lot of those people were made to disappear and we found one of them murdered behind the school bus stop. And that so, changed everything um, for you, right? That moment changed everything for you. It was, uh, it was exactly what I had warned people about for years, uh, including the corrupt politicians who allowed this level of criminality at a, at a county school bus stop. Uh, I warned them for years and I, I told them immediately, I said, this is going to get worse. You know, you guys have the power of law enforcement to stop this. Mm -hmm. And, um, I can't walk away because I know there's kids standing there six times a day. So I, I couldn't let it go. But I told them, I warned them. I said, this is going to get worse. And it did. So finding the body of one of their victims that they had murdered behind the school bus stop was the first time that people had something other than me complaining to look at it and go, oh, there's a problem here. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, when, when people read my third book and find out how long after that murder, after we found the bottom, the body behind the school bus stop, to find out how long they let the gangsters remain at the school bus stop, uh, I think is unforgivable. And I believe that public outrage over this is going to lead to criminal prosecution for all of the crimes in my book. We can only pray so. Uh, right, David? We can only pray for that and make it happen. Uh, hey, I, I pray every day and, and that's how I write the books. You know, I, I literally sat down and said this, this gangster situation is something I don't have the power or the, I'm not smart enough to fix. So I need help. And, and now you're turning to a bigger medium, which is great. Uh, David, you're not, you're certainly not shy about your support for Trump. And I'm wondering in this era of Hollywood, anti-Trump Hollywood and, and that whole business, TV, radio, and movies how are you able to do it and still have a job like that's pretty remarkable if you ask me to stay trump and well it's kind of like the gangsters at the school bus stop you can either cower and never speak out against them uh because they might kill you or you can say you know what i'm not okay with this and i will say from the mountaintops that this must stop even though they're killing people and throwing them in the woods um I, I can decide, you know, I don't, I don't dis, discount the danger, but I just, I'm deciding how I want to live. And in the case of political things or the Corona lockdown, uh, I find that uh, if you let people intimidate you and bully you into not speaking the truth, uh, it's a poison and you're accepting that poison. And I simply stand in the daylight and I say, no. In the case of the crime ring, you can't have an illegal business with, with known wanted criminals at a gathering place for small children. 
I'm not going to accept that. And uh, in the case of the corona lockdown or in the case of who our president is uh, or what's happening in the world around us that affects us all, I'm always happy to stand out in the daylight and, and speak the truth. And what I find is it gives you a power. And mm. you could say that I'm, I'm someone in Hollywood you know, who speaks my mind about politics and that I, I may never work in this town again. Or you could say by being the only one who stands up and mm -hmm. speaks the truth, uh, I have actually risen to a new level. Like mm -hmm. I have a power that none of them will ever have because they're all hiding the truth and the public knows it. Mm. Well, and when the public knows, it's pretty tough to say, no, that's not happening, right? So that, that's a good thing if the public is aware of this. You know, David. Uh, no, no Holly, Hollywood has problems now because they're having to, for the first time, mm -hmm. just like the Me Too movement, for the first time, the rich and powerful elites in Hollywood are being challenged by the common everyday people who no longer rely on them for the window to the world. You know, right. anyone with a smartphone, anyone with internet access can watch the videos of what happened, you know, in a police arrest or can uh, look at the farms today, which are throwing away produce, vegetables, milk, because they can't sell it because of the lockdown. People can watch that stuff and then compare it to the statements of their governor. They can I make up their own some, mind. They I no saw, longer rely on media and movies to tell them what's really going on. I did see pictures or video of a plant literally de-eliminating its milk because it was going to go bad. I was heartbroken about that. Yeah, me too. And, and today... Uh, we can share that information because the news won't report it. The news media is covering up the truth about the coronavirus for political reasons. And people are no longer relying on media for that. So people can now watch with their own eyes what's happening in the farms around America that are not, are not allowed uh, to sell their milk, to sell their uh, vegetables. And the crops are literally rotting in the fields. And to go, wait a second is this lockdown really good for us because people need to eat they do and uh i've just tried to say stay calm through the reports of shortages shortages know that we're going to be on the right track stay calm don't go run the markets again for food it, it, that would be terrible that would be awful to see so i pray people don't get hysterical about this and it's probably our jobs david to keep them calm right well, I, I think it's it's all of our responsibility uh, to question everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the case of an unconstitutional lockdown, where government officials tell people, literally arrest people for going to church or for going to work, which the Constitution says they cannot do, uh, I think it's, it is uh, right for all of us to talk about it, to share information, and to say, wait a second, what's the right next thing? Is, is it really locking people out of the beach in Southern mm. California? Or is it maybe that our government needs to get out of our lives? Mm. Let us decide if we want to go to work. Let us decide if we want to earn a paycheck to feed our families. And in the case of a farmer, let them decide whether to grow crops and send them to the market. David, you know, you're so much more than a cinematographer. And that's what I appreciate, appreciate about you. And so I got to ask now, knowing all the thoughts you have, hearing them, uh, you know, in this episode, 
Would you say that doing the cin- cinematography and daily sketch isn't just a job, but it's an escape from, you know, looking at the reality of life, like doing your work and loving it is an escape for you? Well, my, my job as a helicopter cameraman is a very life and death adventure that I go on year in, year out. So, um, you know, my life is very completely lived. Uh, I, they say that some people, you know, live their whole lives in quiet desperation and die with the music in them. I can guarantee you, uh, I will sing every note before Mm -hmm. I go. Uh, so whether I live another year or another, you know, 40 years, I can honestly say that I'm fully living and I have no regrets. David, you know, I just got to ask you because one of I'm looking at your appearance with the, you know, Indiana Jones hat and the whole look. That was one of the first things that struck me when I met you at the summit. So would you say you're kind of inspired by Indiana Jones? I'd rather ask that. No, actually, uh, I buy these hats at a, at a military surplus store, mm-hmm. and I wear them to keep the sun off of my face. And it looks very, uh, uh, very adventurous, you know? Well, I used to only wear the hats outdoors. I, I literally just wear it to keep the sun off my head. And uh, I was at a convention in Dallas uh, of helicopter pilots. And my buddy was there. He drags me to the convention every year. And he was there and, and he, he cornered me at the convention and he said, Dave, if you don't have your hat on, I can't find you in this crowd. So and I thought about it and I thought, you know what, that's a really good point. By, by wearing my hat, wherever I go, not just out, outdoors, uh, I stand out, I look different. And so I have literally, just from social media alone, I've literally had people stop and jump out of their cars <clears throat> And run over and talk to me. And, uh, and they know who I am. They know what I do. And I say, well, how did, you, how did you know I was here? And they'll say, well, we were driving our car. And we, we saw you walking two streets over. And even from a distance, we could recognize your, your blue denim shirt and your brown hat. And, and so uh, <clears throat> it became, it's not really any connection to Indiana Jones. It just became an easy way for people to recognize me. And uh, so I I make sure I I take my hat now everywhere I go. Well, I was going to ask one thing that people that love your work may not know about you, but I feel like that story in itself is sort of an untold story, right? Or have you been sharing that story of the the hat and the outfit before? Well, the hat and the outfit became important, and here's why. Um, Once, uh, you know, this book, What Lies Above the Clouds, is an, a true story of organized crime and names are named. And what's interesting about this book is that everything in the book, including the, the victim who we found murdered, was filmed and photographed as it happened. Mm. So when we found the body, we were recording 4K video at the time. Mm. And uh, so there is a documentary series coming from this. While we were filming for the documentary about the school bus stop, um, it became important that I wear the same clothes and, and my hat every day so that whatever we film could be used anywhere in the documentary. Uh, for example, if they, if they took a clip of you and I talking uh, and I'm wearing a red shirt and a blue hat, uh, they can't necessarily use that in a scene that was shot a week later. And so this is a little trick. If, if you watch the captains on the deadliest catch, they're wearing the same shirt every day so that 
if it happens on day one or day 36, the producers can use the footage of that scene in the show with the other scenes. And so I, I had to do it too because of the documentary. And so that's why I started wearing the same clothes every day. Uh, and, and I'll tell you a funny story. Oh. Uh, I work on Survivor every summer. And a guy from the crew came up to me and he said, Dave, we're having a, a you know, a film festival and, and we want to start the film festival with a shot of you. And he said, I, I want to show uh, in the film that you open your closet and uh, I want to make it look like it's all just full of blue shirts and, <laughs> and khaki pants and brown hats. And uh, I said, okay, come on over. So he came over to my place and, and, uh, we opened my closet and it was full of blue shirts and khaki pants and, and an, an extra hat. And he said, okay, roll camera. <laughs> hey, you know what? They do that for Jake from State Farm. He wears the same thing every commercial. So I wonder what his looks like, right? It, it, it's so funny because um, there are, forget documentaries. There are people in this world who wear the same clothes every day, just like I do. And they have their own reason for doing it. it. It's really funny. You know, sometimes people are super smart. Uh, geniuses have trouble picking out shirts. I don't know if you know that. Uh, they said Einstein couldn't, couldn't choose the soap at the grocery store because uh, he's just so thoughtful that, you know, the comparison of each type of soap, oh, yeah. you know, to him was so perplexing. Uh, that he had to let some, I think his wife would go and, and shop for him because he, he just couldn't handle those type of decisions. So, so there are people who wear the same clothes every day because they don't want to have to deal with that. It's, it's kind of a hilarious thing. So when people find out that I'm not just wearing this blue shirt today, I'm actually wearing this blue shirt every day of the week. Uh, some of them will say, oh yeah, my dad does that or, uh, or I do that. And then it's, it's funny to hear their reasons why they wear the same clothes every day, like a uniform. David, this is uh this is some fascinating stuff. And I've I've gotta ask you then, any funny stories where you didn't wear a shirt to maintain consistency that you had to change back into the denim? Uh no, not really. Um being around reality television shows, I learned that trick. You know, I, I flew for Ice Road Truckers for five years wow. and and I knew that when we would hover the helicopter next to one one of the trucks on the ice road that the producer needed the truck driver to be in the same color shirt that he wears when he's driving other loads sure. and for that reason. And so I, I learned that trick uh, from watching reality TV show producers do the same thing. So I, I knew to do it and it was an easy thing to do. And uh, what's funny about my wardrobe, if you see me on Instagram or YouTube, uh, everything I wear except for this hat comes from Walmart. Huh. Okay, now I gotta ask you this one last question because I'm, I'm very curious. Uh, those who Zoom every day on different meetings and may not feel like getting dressed up today, I think you give us a good point tonight. You know, on this podcast, that yes, dressing the way you want to stand out is important, even if it's from home, right? I mean, people should just dress to stand out no matter where they are. I highly recommend it. You know, when I talk to, you know, you and I talked about the author conference where they go to meet media. When I gather with authors, I always tell them that. I say, listen, if, if you can find uh, something unique that makes you stand out and use that as your trademark, your signature, 
uh, do it because there's a power in that. And, and what's interesting is, um, you know, if I hadn't met you before and I had sent you an email, my email has a picture of me uh, with my signature wearing this hat and this shirt. And so if you and I went to meet, you know, at a busy mall sure. or, uh, or office building, you would be able to find me right away because just from reading my email, you know what to expect. And, and so, yeah, I, I definitely encourage people to find some unique signature, whether it's a hat or a particular color that they wear all the time or type of shoes. I really recommend to have some sort of a unique trademark that people can see. Uh, in my case, it works great because people can see this literally from a half mile away. They can recognize my profile and my hat and the colors that I always wear. Uh, and, and I really recommend it. It's, it's just a very powerful thing for, for people anywhere, whether it's in your industry, your office, your school, uh, for people to be able to recognize you. Uh, there's a real power in that. And, you know, I know my dad had, and mom had the best intentions for me to roll a blade. And it was more like a public, you know, more like a, uh, you know, a convenience thing and ability for me to just keep rolling around, even borrow one leg and move at a faster rate. But I think in a way they in, 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 in unintentionally found my unique signature with that. So that puts it into perspective for me. Thank you for, for pointing that out, actually. Oh, it, it really is. It, it's something about you that is so unique of who you are and what you do that when people see that, uh, it, it's just such a signature. I mean, there's there's, uh, there's people in Idaho uh, who will recognize you just because they've seen pictures and videos of you on your uh, rollerblade going through the city of New York. Well, I got to tell you a funny story now. Not too far from there in Montana, there, were, there was a couple that came to New York and in Grand Central Station told my dad and I they had seen me on uh, Kids Say the Darndest Things with Bill Cosby a, a year earlier. So, yes, that kind of does happen in New York. It's crazy. Yes, it's amazing how how uh, easily someone from 2,000 miles away can connect to you because there's something that visually stands out that's very unique from all the other world of, of human beings. All right, David, hardest question of the night. Uh, what is one thing that people may not know about you that, that you don't post on social media? Because he posts a lot, but maybe there's one thing he hasn't shared yet that, would, that he's waiting to tell someone. Oh, uh, well, I don't, I don't really hide much. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, you mentioned Joe Biden. Uh, I think a lot of people walk around in public life worrying that they're going to get asked certain questions. And uh, for me, there's not too much I worry about. I, I really don't hide much. And, and what's interesting is for me is that anything is fair game. You know, a lot of times I'll do an interview like you and I are doing. And people will ask, well, can, can we talk about this or that? And I, I always say, all questions are fair game. Uh, I really don't hide anything. And if you read my books, uh, so much of my books are the mistakes that I have made. I'm very honest about those. I'm very honest about my shortcomings. And um, when I sat down to write the story of the school bus stop, I uh, was really guided and helped to, to know that I needed to include in the story, not just the terrible things that uh, I had witnessed, but also uh, the honest, 
uh, dumb mistakes that I had made <laughs> that mm. nobody else would make in their right mind. And to be honest and open and, and, and tell things that people, and that's what's in my books is my books are full of stories that I could have taken to my grave. But I just decided that if I was going to tell the story of how I became the helicopter cameraman for Dudley's Catch, that I was going to be honest about it and say what worked and also say what I did wrong that was really dumb. Mm. Uh, and I think it's important for kids today to see the stories of things I messed up so right. that they can know, oh, okay, you know, Dave is no different than I am. Uh, and if he can overcome those mistakes and shortcomings and still be the cameraman of the deadliest catch or the World Series, that uh, I could do that too. I could rise to that too. Well, David, thank you so much for encouraging today and giving us a bit of a, a funner story to talk about than many that we're seeing on a television screen. So thank you for that. I love you, Alexander, and, and awesome. thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Anytime you need a guest, please let me know. I always enjoy our conversations. And I love, I love encouraging people to get involved with what you're doing because you've got quite an, an amazing content and, and story to tell. So thanks for telling it. Thank you so much. Until next time, I'm Alex Garrett. We'll talk to you soon. David, that was awesome. Yeah, good for you.